Hello and welcome to the Midweek Podcast, which is devoted specifically to helping us flourish as followers of Jesus in the midst of the coronavirus and all of the changes that it's brought. Uh, I'm Matt Deason, and I'm coming at you live from my basement, where we are now six weeks into shelter in place. And uh, today, I want to share some thoughts on exile. For those who are new to the scriptures, the Bible is one unified story of God at work in the world, reconciling humanity and in fact all of creation back to himself. And as you look at the big picture story of the Bible, you see that there are several major acts or movements in the story. You have creation in the beginning. Uh, You have what we would call the fall of man, uh, which in fact deeply affects all of creation because it was all under humanity's care. You have the calling of Abraham and the patriarchs who become the nation of Israel. And then you have hundreds and hundreds of years of Israelite history with several major milestones along the way. And one of those milestones is this major event in the life and history of the nation of Israel, and that is exile. Way back in the beginning, before Israel even enters the promised land, God tells them that their stay in the promised land will be conditioned on their covenantal faithfulness. If you uh, walk with me, God says, and follow my laws and this agreement, this covenant that we've made, then you get to enjoy the land. But if you don't, then you'll actually be removed from the land by a foreign enemy. And God actually lays all of this out through Moses before they even enter the land. Moses basically says, hey, you're going to enter the land, but eventually you'll settle in and you'll stop living for God. And in fact, uh, you'll live in opposition to him. And one day you'll be removed from the land. Uh, God sort of tells them in advance, this will happen. And then hundreds of years later, you've got... Uh, the immediate lead up to exile. Exile's on the horizon. Uh, There's been decades and centuries of disobedience. And so you have these prophets who are coming along warning Israel, um, hey, this is coming. Um, And yet the, the people, for the most part, they ignore God's warnings. They continue in their rebellion against him. Uh, They refuse to listen, and eventually they're taken into exile. But this act of being taken into exile is a devastating moment for Israel. Their identity is tied to that land. In the promised land, not only do they have abundance, but that's where God meets with them. Uh, Divinity in the ancient world was often deeply connected with land. That's where they had Jerusalem and the temple of God which was one of the wonders of the ancient world. It was absolutely staggering. It was the place of God's intensified presence among them. And so naturally, it was the center of their worship, of their culture, of their identity, all of it. 
And then the Babylonians come and rip them from the land. And it's hard to describe what a difficult and disorienting thing this must have been. All of a sudden, they're ripped out of their homes, they're deprived of their temple, they're thrust into a very foreign reality, and the ground sort of drops out from under their feet. There's this massive disorientation. And they must have even questioned in the midst of that uh, where God was and what God was up to and whether or not God's God's promises had failed. And yet, when you see in, in the record of Scripture, you recognize that God was working powerfully behind the scenes in their exile. And I can't help but see some of the parallels between the exile of the Israelites and some of what we're experiencing now. I mean, first off, you have this massive sense of disorientation. Uh, They were being ripped from their homes. We're actually being forced into our homes. So there's a basic difference there. But we still have this massive sense of disorientation, of the world shifting beneath our feet, of the world changing uh, rather rapidly and in ways that we didn't anticipate and don't really like. And I think we can resonate on some level with even our place of worship being stripped away and not having these central places of gathering where we're used to meeting with God and his intensified presence in a unique way Uh, all across the world. Right now, church buildings and gathering spaces are sitting empty. And as the uh, Israelites reflect on their predicament, they cry out in the scriptures, how can we sing your songs in a foreign land? How can we worship you with our traditional songs in exile? Uh, How can we worship you in this new and foreign space that we aren't accustomed to, that isn't our, our regular gathering place. Uh, And I think many of us can sort of resonate with that cry. How can we sing your songs in a foreign land? Uh, How do we adjust to this new normal? How can I sing your your songs alone in my living room? It's just not the same. We can't gather and worship in our normal ways. And there's a sense in which we're all sort of hidden away in our own little exile. Uh, But when we look at the experience of exile in the scriptures, they were out of the land for a time, 70 years to be precise, and then they came back. But God really used that time in the life and story of Israel. It It was an important time. It was a meaningful event. And so as people who are experiencing a bit of exile, I think it's important for us to be seeking God and asking him what he's up to. God, what do you want to do in and through this? How do you want to shape us and shape our church and shape the world through this event? And there are a few things that we see in the Israelite exile that I want to highlight. And the first of them uh, is this rather odd line that we get in scripture about the land having its Sabbath rest. And right when shelter in place was hitting and our world was being flipped upside down a bit, I was out on a prayer walk very early on and just since God laid this scripture on my heart, he said, now the land will have its Sabbath rest. And it's probably been years since I've read that. I forgot it was in the Bible, but I looked it up later 
And God was actually speaking this to Israel all the way back in Leviticus when uh, he spoke through Moses and told the Israelites what awaited them in, in their future as they entered the promised land. So this is hundreds of years before exile. He says, hey, you're going to break my covenant. You're going to get carried off into exile. And then Leviticus, Leviticus 26 says this, uh, and I'm quoting here. It says, then after being carried off into exile, then the land will enjoy its Sabbath years all the time that it lies desolate and you are in the country of your enemies. Then the land will rest and enjoy its Sabbaths. And we get this line again centuries later as Israel is looking back on their exile experience. Uh, Second Chronicles says it this way, Nebuchadnezzar carried into exile to Babylon the remnant who escaped from the sword and they became servants to him and his successors until the kingdom of Persia came to power. The land enjoyed its Sabbath rests. All the time of its desolation it rested until the 70 years were completed in fulfillment of the word that the Lord spoke to Jeremiah. So what was happening in exile? Well, God was doing something very meaningful in the life of culture and, and culture of Israel, sort of hitting the reset button. And we'll talk more about that next week. But we also see that one of the central things happening through exile was rest. And specifically, these passages talk about rest for the land, uh, which in context, the land is often sort of personified in scripture. It's given these basic attributes and characteristics of personhood. Um, so you see a bit of that coming through in these passages. Uh, the land was a very important and personal thing. But just as importantly, God had actually given the Israelites specific instructions for how to govern themselves in the land so that the land would flourish. And there are examples from uh, Exodus 23 and Leviticus 35, where they say things like, hey, for six years, you plant and harvest and work the land. But the seventh year is a Sabbath year. You let the land rest and recover before starting another six-year cycle. Uh, and on it goes with those sorts of commandments. Uh, so when God gave the law to Israel as part of his covenant with them, a lot of it was aimed at flourishing through rest. Uh, the people themselves were to take a Sabbath day, one day a week, which was an entire day set aside for rest and for worship. And God was explicit that everyone and everything was to rest and reset. All the people in the land, all of the people, not just those with money or privilege, but everyone in the land was to rest. All of the animals were to rest in the land. Um, you're not supposed to work, you know, your oxen or anything like that. The land itself was it has a chance to rest in that time. And when God speaks through the prophets, it's really interesting that he's constantly critiquing the Israelites for their lack of rest. They're into all sorts of idolatry and, and brokenness and dark things. Uh, but God keeps pointing out, hey, you're disobeying me by refusing to rest. And so it's fascinating to me that that's one of God's central and most 
common critiques through the prophets is you're breaking the Sabbath. You're not honoring me by resting, by trusting in me, by taking time to just be with me and enjoy what you have in me. Instead, they don't rest. Their servants don't rest. Their animals don't rest. The land doesn't rest. And in fact, it takes this cataclysmic event of exile in order to force the Israelites to stop and rest. And so as they're being carried off um, in, in tears, you know, God says, hey, now the land will have its Sabbath rest. Uh, the earth itself will take a deep breath and rest and reset. Uh, and in fact, the Israelites and their culture and religion were being forced to, to sort of rest and reset as well. We'll talk more about that next week. But it's remarkable in my mind, the parallel that we're experiencing right now. Uh, only the coronavirus could force the world to slow down and stop and come to a place of rest. And in fact, the earth itself seems to be taking a deep breath. You've got all of these studies coming out now that are showing the effect of the coronavirus on the health of our planet, which is really interesting in terms of air pollution and water pollution and all of that. It's remarkable. And you have these Chinese cities that once looked like chimneys from space, this blackened air just billowing out of them. And, and now they're experiencing fresh air for the first time in decades. And you've got countless examples all around the world like that of the land literally getting its Sabbath rest. And that's awesome. We love that. I could devote a whole podcast to talking about that. But I think for us, there's an even more personal lesson about taking a Sabbath rest ourselves. Uh, the coronavirus has brought a ton of unwanted change and heartache, but one of the best things that it's brought is this forced sense of rest. And I hear it all across the board with all the people that I've been interacting with. Uh, I've never had this much free time. I've never been able to rest like this before. I feel like I'm catching up on years worth of lost sleep. We actually have a chance to rest. And so when God spoke that phrase, now the land will have its Sabbath rest, I don't see it as just being restricted to the literal physical land. Um, creation itself is, is having its rest and that's awesome and that's important and it's from scripture. But I also think that it speaks to the land as a whole, as in the land and everything in it gets to rest. It took something as catastrophic as the coronavirus to force everyone on earth to sort of stop and take a deep breath and to rest. And I don't want us to miss this opportunity. This may be the only moment in our lifetimes when the world as a whole will be in a state of rest or close to it. And we need to capitalize on that. A Sabbathing, if I can use that term, will never be as easy as it is right now. And I think we have to wake up to that and learn to build a new habit. Uh, we've mentioned on past podcasts what an unparalleled opportunity this is to practice the spiritual disciplines all across the board. But today, uh, we're focusing in specifically on Sabbath and taking a real rest uh, as an act of faith, as a spiritual discipline. 
Uh, my former pastor wrote a, a brilliant book uh, called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. And if you haven't read that book, please, please buy a copy and read it. It is fantastic. But we started off 2020 by talking about some of those concepts. Practicing the presence of God, uh, which really is all about slowing down and being present to God and being present to ourselves and our own souls and being present to the moment that we're living in. Uh, we talked about practicing silence and solitude, which again forces us to slow down, uh, taking time out of each day to be in the quiet with our Heavenly Father. Uh, we talked about practicing simplicity and rejecting kind of the fast paced consumerism of our culture in favor of focusing on the things that matter most. Uh, we talked about practicing the Sabbath day, which is an art to be sure, uh, an entire day set aside every week for rest and for worship to enjoy God and enjoy one another and enjoy creation and all that God has blessed us with. And I, I think that uh, in the beginning of 2020, as we were introducing those concepts, I think they were really shocking for most people. And there was this sense in the room of like, how on earth can I practice these things? Uh, how can I practice simplicity and break my addiction to shopping in order to focus my life on the things that matter most? Uh, how can I take an entire day every week and not work? Like, are you crazy? Uh, how can I take my frantic, frenetic, 90 mile an hour life and even begin to slow it down to something that puts me in step with the spirit and, and puts me online with God's version of human flourishing? Uh, how can I even begin to eliminate hurry in my life. I mean, that's insane. It sounds uh, foreign. It's alien. It's impossible. We can't do that in the Western world. Uh, and all of a sudden, in a rather short amount of time, we find ourselves in exile, uh, sheltering at home. And I kind of want to stand up and say, hey, mission accomplished. Like hurry has been ruthlessly eliminated. Uh, never did I think we would see the forces of the world conspire together to ruthlessly eliminate hurry for us. But here we are. Uh, what a remarkable moment we are in. But as we look to the future, uh, many of us are sitting in our homes and we're just anxious. We're just anxious to get out of exile and back to normal life. We're sort of uh, holding our breath until things open back up again. But I think one of the things we have to take advantage of in this season is learning how to take a real rest. If we can't learn to slow down now, we never will. If we can't practice simplicity and break our addiction to shopping and material stuff now, we never will. If we can't find time in our day for silence and solitude now, we never will. If we can't figure out how to Sabbath now, you already know what I'm going to say. We never will. This is it. Uh, the land, the people, schools, the businesses, everyone is taking their Sabbath rest, which in all reality was years overdue. This is our time. And so the invitation right here, right now, is to rest. It's to take an entire day out of every week for rest 
and worship. And those are broad categories to be sure, but the basic idea is that you're not working and instead you're enjoying God and others and his creation. You have six days to do home projects, uh, but on the seventh day, you just enjoy your house. You have six days to work and earn money, but on the seventh day, you just praise God that you have a job and you enjoy all the things that he's provided for you. You have six days to buy stuff online, but on the seventh day, you remind yourself and others that you have enough, that all you need is food and clothing, and God promises to provide both of those things for you as you seek first the kingdom of God. It's an entire day to rest, to settle into God's goodness, to worship God through music, through words, through rest, and naps, and art, and bike rides, and really good food. But behind everything that happens on the Sabbath, we're tuning our, our hearts toward God and his goodness. We're, we're making ourselves present to God, aware of God, uh, praising God in all of the things that we do and all of the things that we get to enjoy. Uh, and note that we can do this in all circumstances. A minority of you who are listening will say, well, hey, I lost my job or my business is under threat or I'm freaking out about my future. And my only response to that is just to gently remind you that the Sabbath has always been an act of faith. Always. It's an act of faith in God. It's this radical thing. It's a faith-filled activity. To Sabbath is to say, I trust in God over my circumstances. I look to God over my circumstances as an act of faith, as an act of trust. I will enjoy God in the midst of my circumstances. Uh, Psalm 23 says, uh, essentially, God, you set a table for me in the presence of my enemies. Now that's faith. Uh, it's saying, hey, I've got all this stuff looming. Maybe I feel like I'm in the valley of death right now, but whether I do or I don't, I've got all this stuff looming. There's plenty of things that I could be doing right now, whether it's distracting myself or engaging in more work or activity or whatever it is. But one day a week, I will rest in your goodness. I've got six other days for all that other stuff. If it's a necessary activity, if it's something I have to do, then I can do it on one of those six other days. But today, I'll enjoy a meal with you, God, in the presence of my enemies. As an act of trust, I will Sabbath. Now, that's going to look different for each person depending on your circumstances, but God's chief interest has always been in the heart posture behind the Sabbath, never in just the restrictions or observance of the Sabbath itself. Uh, and so we, we focus on that. Even as a family, we just think about the heart posture behind it. What's going on in my heart as I go throughout my Sabbath day? And we uh, ask our boys, Every Sabbath morning when we wake up, we say, hey, do you guys know what day it is? And inevitably, Moses or one of them will say, it's the Sabbath, and that means no work. 
daddy, that means you don't work. And mommy, that means that you don't work. And no one in the whole world works. And I say, yeah, that's right. I mean, not not the whole world bit. Um, that would be in an ideal world. Literally, the whole world would rest. But I say, yeah, today, God says we don't have to work. So we're going to trust in God and he's going to provide for us today. And so today we get to enjoy God and enjoy one another and enjoy all that he's given us. He's given us this day as a gift. And so for us as a family, that typically means in terms of like, how do we as a household actually engage uh, in the Sabbath? For us, it means that our phones are off and they're in a drawer somewhere, hidden away, out of sight, out of mind. Even during a pandemic, you really don't need another news update. You're going to be fine. Uh, remember, the Sabbath is an act of faith and it's an act of trust. And so we, we put our phones away, we turn off all of that stuff, we eliminate as much distraction as we can, uh, we start off our day with a fun breakfast, then we usually get outside after breakfast as a family, maybe we play in the yard or go for a family walk. And then from about 11 a.m. to 2 p.m., my wife is off having her time alone while I watch the kids and she gets to go and do whatever she wants to do, uh, rest, worship, restorative things. Uh, her options are more limited now than they were before the coronavirus, but she still has that three-hour block uh, followed by my three-hour block of time alone, which for me usually starts with a spirit-filled nap uh, followed by reading one of my favorite books, maybe going for a bike ride or a hike in the woods near our home, uh, some form of exercise and getting outside. Uh, and then after that, we come back together again for dinner and more time as a family. And we don't eat out a lot, but if we can afford it, then the Sabbath day dinner is a, is a carry out meal. Uh, or if we're making food at home, it's just something that's easy to make or something that we made the night before. Um, and we enjoy more time together. We uh, enjoy a meal together. But behind all of it, from start to finish, we're practicing this discipline of rest. We're tuning our hearts toward God and his goodness. We're practicing gratitude and just tuning our hearts toward praise and contentment in God's presence. And the Sabbath day and, and this practice, it really sets the tone for the rest of our week. And to be honest, some Sabbath days are much more restful than others. And, and some, we really have this experience of meeting with God and being filled by God. And others are honestly like not like that. They're just harder. But we practice it every week and it always sets the tone for the rest of the week. It's the very heart and center of everything else that we do. All of our work, our creativity, our labor, everything else that happens on the other six days finds its foundation and energy and inspiration in the Sabbath day. Uh, it has been absolutely transformative for us as disciples of Jesus and as human beings. Uh, it, it's a beautiful 
practice. And the reason I'm talking about this now is because I really believe that now is the time. Uh, The forces of the world have conspired to give the land its Sabbath rest. And this is our time to take hold of it and to deepen these practices and grow in these practices and sort of build muscle memory in these practices as followers of Jesus. Uh, Exile was not a welcomed experience. It was not a fun experience. It was, it was in many ways a painful experience. It was a disorienting experience. It was a forced experience. But in the midst of that experience, there was rest to be found. And as the people of God, we want to find it. Uh, one day, and hopefully one day soon, we will begin to emerge from exile. And as we emerge from exile in the coming months, we want to emerge from a place of feeling rested and knowing how to take a real rest. We want to emerge as people who know how to Sabbath and who are unwilling to give that up, even as the world picks up its pace again. One day, the training wheels will come off and the world will speed up again, but we don't have to follow it, at least not all the way. Uh, Let's use our time right here, right now in exile to learn how to rest. It may be the best chance of our lifetimes to step into this practice. So I'm going to uh, end here by just reading a scripture over us as we close, and then I will pray for us. But these are the words of Jesus from the message translation of the Bible. This is Jesus' words to his disciples in Matthew chapter 11. So this is Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. Jesus says, Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion, come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Let's pray. Jesus, we just praise you, Lord, for um, being present in our exile, God, that as each one of us is um, kind of confined to our own homes, that we recognize you in our midst, that you're here with us, that um, you are always powerfully and even uniquely at work in exile in a way uh, that's different than the way you were at work before. And so we want to have eyes to see, Lord. We want to have ears to hear. We want to um, see what it is that you're up to in exile and engage as fully as we can in this moment that we have. And so as we follow after you, Jesus, uh, I pray that you would just come alongside us in your grace, in your mercy, in your love, and that you would teach us to live freely and lightly, that you would teach us to rest as an act of faith, that you would teach us a new habit, um, that you would, to quote this passage, that you would teach us how to take a real rest. 
not a fake one, not a half rest, not an uninspired rest or an accidental rest or a reluctant rest, but a real rest. We need it, Lord. Many of us uh, are catching up on years uh, of living at too high a pace, and we we need to learn this practice. And so as many of us are um, fasting today, I pray that you would tune our hearts to your goodness, Lord. Would you teach us the art of resting in you and settling into your goodness and trusting in you? Uh, Today, Lord, we tune our hearts, our minds, our bodies to you now, Jesus. Would you teach us to rest? In Jesus' name, amen.